Welcome to Black Sheep by BBH. I'm your host, writer and performer, Daniela Isaacs. This podcast celebrates those that don't follow the flock. Across the series, I'll be having conversations with some of the world's most notorious black sheep. We'll hear their stories told through the rules they've broken. Black Sheep is a podcast about rules and how to break them. How do we work out what we really want in sex? What indoctrinates our desires? What would our sex look like if the porn industry as we know it was rebuilt to reflect real-life sex? Meet Cindy Gallup, the social sex activist and our black sheep this week. After 30 years of building a golden reputation in advertising, which culminated with her being awarded the globally recognised Advertising Woman of the Year accolade, Cindy decided to make a bold career shift. These days, you're more likely to hear her name in the confines of people's bedrooms rather than the boardrooms of big agencies. Since 2009, Cindy has been pioneering a social sex revolution with her business Make Love Not Porn, a social sex tech platform where real people share real sex. Cindy launched the venture after realising that the men she was having sex with were infuriatingly conditioned by the misogynistic porn they'd grown up with. As a result of the funding challenges that she's encountered due to the societally deemed shameful subject matter of Make Love Not Porn, Cindy is raising the world's first and only sex tech fund, All Sky Holdings, and she hopes to raise $200 million. During the pandemic, Cindy has stated, The world is more in need of love, intimacy and human connection than ever before. Make Love Not Porn might just be the first sex tech platform to help us get there. Cindy, welcome to the Black Sheep Podcast. What an honour to have you here. Thank you, Danielle. Delighted to be here. The podcast is, of course, called Black Sheep. So I always like to kick things off by asking, do you think of yourself as a black sheep? Um, Well, of course I do, because I am originally a black sheep, having worked at BBH for 16 years in London, Singapore and, and then New York. So... Um, in that sense, I'm literally a black sheep. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I also absolutely subscribe to where that expression came from. You know, BBH's ad for Levi's way back in the day um, that had one black sheep in the middle of a flock of white sheep and the tagline, when the world zigs, zag. And I completely concur with that. I'm all about when the world zigs, zag. Mm. And do you feel like you've always zagged? Um, you know, I think... Um, Um, As long as I've consciously been able to, because we are all the product of our own social conditioning. And, you know, I'm as much um, a product of the insecurity that we imbue women with from the moment they're born. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, I wouldn't say I'd always done that, but I think I probably began doing that um, relatively early on. And obviously, BBH is a great encourager of that. So I was delighted to join BBH back in 1989 and actively be exhorted to do so. So do you think in your upbringing you were conditioned to be a sheep rather than a black sheep? I think um, everybody is um, Mm. in the sense that um, we are all born into societal expectations, you know. And so if you're female, and this is true globally, you're born into the expectation that you will spend your entire life in a search for the one, Mm. that happiness comes from marriage and children. And, And by the way, you know, my father was English and 
very old-fashioned. My mother is Chinese, and so, you know, in Asian culture, you know, absolutely woman's destiny is husband, children, you know, etc. So um, I think, you know, as much as any of us is, basically, especially if we're female. I really want to hear your journey from being encouraged to be a sheep to your... Uh, absolute celebration of being a black sheep and I think the way we can do that is by going through your three broken rules so Cindy will you kick us off please by telling me the first rule that you have broken so you know I guess the first rule that I've broken although and I'll come on to explain this I don't I don't feel like I'm breaking a rule is stay quiet and don't say what you think And, you know, what I find rather entertaining is I am constantly asked, and in fact, um, I was having this very conversation just this morning. Um, You know, so people, people, you know, um, interviewing me in the media or or generally will say, so Cindy, you know, you are, you're very provocative. You know, you're very challenging. You're very outspoken. And... My response to that is I would never describe myself as any of those things because as far as I'm concerned, I'm just being me mm. and I am just saying what I think. And it's the it's only because so few people do that that when I simply say what I think, people think I'm being provocative, chanting, mm. outspoken. And so, you know, it may be a rule I'm breaking and it absolutely is a rule, especially for women. You know, we are not expected to speak up. We are expected to smile constantly. You know, strange men in the street tell us that all the time. Um, We are expected to stay quiet. We are expected to be submissive and pliant and dutiful. And and so any woman who isn't that is instantly, oh, my God, shock horror, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's an unspoken societal rule that I'm breaking, but I don't think about it as a rule I'm breaking. I am just saying what I think. Did you ever subscribe to staying quiet? You know, you went to Oxford University, you joined BBH, you grew up very um, brilliantly within the advertising world. Were you encouraged to stay quiet as a woman in those environments? Oh, you know, we have all been um, in the scenario where you're in a meeting and you're surrounded by lots of brilliant people or people that you think are brilliant, um, who are all saying things. And, and you have this thought and you go, ooh, but if I say that, mm. maybe, maybe it'll sound stupid. Maybe they'll laugh at me. And then somebody else, usually a white man, says exactly the same thing. Everyone goes, great point, Roger. <laughs> and, yeah. and you go, damn. You know? yeah. um, so, um, you know, to, um, I, I, I will undoubtedly have had my own experience of that in the past. But, um, you know, I just you know, learnt over time. Um, I mean, and actually, what I would say to people these days is, um, so I live my own philosophies. And one of my own philosophies is that change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. Every one of us every day taking micro actions, and micro actions are really easy, tiny, small actions, you know, it's easy to do, why won't you do them? Every one of us taking micro actions every day to change what we want to see change, cumulative adds up at scale to enormous impact. And there is one micro action I recommend to everybody. And I explain that this is a micro action that requires no talents, training or skills, but it is the single micro action that the moment you begin taking it, it will most dramatically transform your career and your life going forwards. And it's this very simple micro action. It's simply say what you think. And then I go, no, 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 no. Say what you really think. 
because we don't, especially if we're female. As women, every day we are manterrupted, mansplained to, talked over, ignored, not listened to, not heard. And so we must say what we think because, first of all, um, you are hired into your company, into your business for the unique value that you bring to the table. If you do not say what you think, you are not delivering that value. But secondly, because quite often in a world which stifles women, it is only by saying what you think that you realise what you think. When you begin articulating what you really think and feel, you begin understanding what your responses really are to something happening at work, any given situation. And then the third reason to say what you think is I'm a huge fan of be your own filter. When you say what you think, when you deliver your unique insights, you should absolutely be valued and celebrated for that. And if you are working somewhere that does not value what you uniquely bring to the table, what you contribute, then get the fuck out. Do you think a lot of people are stuck in places where they aren't valued for saying what they think and therefore they're conditioned absolutely. to continue to shut up? Absolutely. How do you get out then? Um, you just do. <laughs> it, 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 seriously, because the point I make again, especially to women, is you will never progress. Yeah. You know, if they don't value what you bring to the table, there's no point staying there. Leave. You said something quite fascinating in another interview, which was start your own industry. Because that's what I mean. You said you said start a business that reinvents your industry to be the industry you and all of us want to work mm. in. What led you to start your own industry? Um, well, everything in my life and career has happened by complete accident. Um, I've never consciously, intentionally planned anything, and so I literally started my own industry, sex tech, um, through starting my own business, Make Love Not Porn as a complete accident. So I date younger men, they tend to be men in their 20s. And 12 or 13 years ago, I began realizing through dating younger men, that I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. When those two things converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. Mm -hmm. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioural memes in bed. I went, whoa, I don't know where that behaviour is coming from. Yeah. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 12, 13 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody's writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. So 11 years ago now, I put up a no money, a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. Launched at TED, where, as you've observed, um, I became the only TED speaker to say the words come on my face on the TED stage six times in succession. The talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every country in the world, young and old, men and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out. And I realised I'd uncovered a huge global social issue.
And so I felt I had a personal responsibility to take it forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective. But I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global need. And I use the word big advisedly because... Even then, 11 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream, and just as all-pervasive in our society as porn currently is. Mm -hmm. And so that's what led me to turn Make Love Not Porn into a business. And what I decided to do, um, basically, was um, the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst a host of other benefits, people would be able to bring a real-world mindset to the viewing of what is simply manufactured entertainment. So our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is one thing only, to help make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. Cindy, I'm going to jump in. Mm. Will you tell me then the second rule that you have broken, please? Well, obviously, the second rule I've broken is don't talk about sex. And this is what Make Non-Porn is all about. And, you know, the reason um, we exist to make it easy to talk about sex is in two areas. The first is in the public domain. By that, I mean parents to kids, teachers to schools, everyone to everyone. But the second is even more importantly to talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. And the reason that's so key is because we do not talk about sex, it is an area of rampant insecurity for every single one of us. We all get vulnerable when we get naked. Sexual ego is very fragile. People therefore find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex with the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. Because in that situation, you are terrified that... If you say anything at all about what's going on, if you comment on the action anyway at all, you will potentially hurt the other person's feelings, put them off you, derail the encounter, potentially derail the entire relationship, but at the same time, you want to please your partner. You want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed. Nobody knows exactly what that means. Mm. And so you will seize your cues from any way you can. If the only cues you've ever seen are in porn, those are the ones you'll take to not very good effect. And so given this mission of talk about it, I decided to take every dynamic in social media and apply them to this one area no other social network platform will go in order to socialise sex and to make real world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. So... Um, and that's why seven years ago I launched MakeLoveNotPorn.tv, which is an entirely user-generated, crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. Anyone from anywhere in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex, but we are very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We are not amateur. We are building a whole new category on the internet that never before existed, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, 
it's Facebook and YouTube. Or rather, it would be mm. if Facebook and YouTube allowed you to socially, sexually self-express. So social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're just about doing what you already do on every other social platform. Capture what goes on in the real world, as it happens spontaneously, in all its funny, messy, glorious, silly, beautiful, ridiculous, wonderful humanness. We curate to make sure of that. I decide to make love upon around human curation, very important. Our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end. We don't publish unless it's real. And we have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And growing up, were you this open about sex or did that kind of dawn on you later in life? Oh, oh my God, um, later in life, absolutely. Because, um, you know, my parents never talked about sex. You know, um, you know t- um, I grew up in a very repressed um, environment um, around sex. Um, and, you know, when I discovered sex, I went, oh my God, this is wonderful. <laughs> Why is everyone so fucked up about it? Yeah. You know? And, um, I, I mean... You know, um, that did not feed into anything until all those years later when, as I say, I started to make Love Not Porn by accident. Um, but, you know, for a long time, I just thought, you know, the way we are as a society around sex is just so messed up. And so when I'm, I'm, I'm now, I'm even feeling awkward talking about sex with you. So it just shows how conditioned mm. I am. When you were in bed with those younger men, mm. was there a, a wake up moment where you were just like, something has to be done? Um, it, 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 it honestly, you know, it really wasn't as thought through as that. I mean, it was, it was a gradual realization. I thought, I've seen these moves. I've, I've mm. heard that voiceover. You know, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh my God! You know, this is all. all they're learning from porn, uh, and and then it was just as I say, I wanted to do something about it, and it became, a, it began as a little side venture. You know, to, um, I did not think, oh my God, this is my mission to bring mm. to the world. You know, I just thought, golly, I think the world needs this, and let's do something about it. As I said, I'm a naturally very action-oriented person. When I see an issue. I do something to address it. I don't, I don't just talk about it. And so how, or if we're talking about kind of micro changes, how can we change it on the outside, you know, with right. another person in bed? Right. So, um, oh, um, so um, basically, um, um, the micro actions that I give people to support what I'm doing um, and to support... So at Make Love and Porn, we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revenue part is not the sex, it's the social. And actually, if you don't mind, uh, Daniel, I, I want to just... Before I answer that question specifically, I want to drill a bit more into what I mean by social sex. Mm. Because we are doing something utterly unique. So porn is purely and simply masturbation material. That's its role. We are not just that. We are that too, by the way. Very happy to be that. But we are many more socially beneficial things on top of that. So, for example, social sex is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real-world everything. Real-world bodies, Mm. real-world hair, real-world penis size, real-world breast size. You can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love. Nothing makes you feel great about your own body. Like watching people who are no one's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other desiring each other, having a bloody amazing time in bed. You know, our mantra is everybody is beautiful when you're having real world sex, and, and, and they really are. Then, you know, we celebrate the accidents, the awkwardness, the messiness. If you only learn about sex from porn, porn teaches you that sex is a performance. Nothing must go wrong. Oh, my God, it did. How embarrassing. I don't know. I speak about said whatever. Whereas we go, if you can't laugh at yourselves in bed, when can you? Yeah. You know? And in our videos, ridiculous things happen because mm. this is the real world. And then importantly, we celebrate emotion, 
love intimacy feelings. You know, one man wrote to us now, Make Love Not Porn Stars, and he said, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you look at each other. I saw the way your eyes met. I hope one day I can meet someone and have that. We get very moving um, emails. But the overarching goal of all of this, and, and, and this ties into the um, point about communication, is I decide to make love not porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is that everything in life starts with you and your values. And so I regularly ask people this question, what are your sexual values? Mm. And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Yeah. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, a work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed. But they should. Because Absolutely. in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so in that sense, um, what we are doing could not be more relevant in the era of Me Too. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Because right now, everybody is quite rightly talking about consent. Mm. Everybody's writing about consent. There are lots of thoughtful, nuanced, insightful think pieces out there about consent. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. Nothing educates people as to what is great consensual communicative sex, good sexuality and good sexual behaviour, like watching people actually having that kind of sex. And we are the only place on the internet you can do that. Every one of our videos is an object lesson in consent, communication, good sexuality and behaviour. We are literally education through demonstration. And so to your question, I mean, I absolutely role model everything my venture is about because and, and the ironic thing about this is I said make love was an accident what is no accident is my background is over 30 years working in advertising I've spent 30 odd years working in the business of communication I know that, therefore that everything great in life and business is born out of great communication sex is no different mm -hmm. great sex is born out of great communication that's what I do and that's what I'm trying to help other people do and so how, just thinking about consent mm. in the bedroom during mm. sex, mm. how do you choose what that is? Being the curator, looking at the people, how um, do you um, know what it is? Um, um, so, um, so our only criteria um, for our social sex videos um, is that they're real and consensual. Everyone's having, having a good time. Now, um, and I'm going I'm to answer that question by contextualising it because the young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today are not the primary targets, both online and offline, of harassment, abuse, sexual assault, violence, rape. Therefore, they do not and they did not proactively design for it. Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, people of colour, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design safe spaces and safe experiences. I and my team spent literally years concepting and designing Make Love Not Porn before we ever built it because we knew if we were going to invite people to something they've never done before, socially share their real world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification to create a completely safe and trustworthy space. As a result, we operate unlike anybody else in the adult sphere and in fact, unlike anybody else on the internet, period. So for example, it is not possible to complete our submissions process if your video is not fully consensual, legal, everyone's over 18. We require two forms of visual ID and full identifying details for every participant, including, by the way, if you've chosen somebody else behind the camera. Even we never see who they are. We have to know exactly who they are. Two forms of visual ID. It is not possible to even submit, let alone ever have published, anything not consensual or legal. Then, um, when you submit your video, as I said, we do something nobody else does, human curation. 
That is what Facebook and YouTube et al. should have designed themselves around from the get-go. And by the way, it's eminently scalable. It's built into our business plan. You know, our curators watch every single video from beginning to end. We do that just to make sure it's real, but obviously it allows us to see everything that's going on. Then when we accept your video, we will then engage with you, the Make Love Not Porn stars, personally. So we will talk to you through your chosen channel, by the way. You can tell us whether you prefer text, email, Skype, phone, whatever. You know, we'll talk to both halves of the couple. Um, and, and by the way, we, we do that to handhold, answer questions, reassure, but we begin building a personal relationship with every one of our Make Love Not Porn stars from the moment they submit their first video. If you're at all worried about your employer, your college, it's fine to be anonymous. You can wear masks, faces in shadow, out of frame. About half our make-up porn stars choose to do that. The other half are happy showing their faces. And we help. We have a how-to section on our blog that includes a post called How to Shoot a Banging Real World Sex Video Without Ever Showing Your Face. (laughs) Your video is only viewable on our platform by our members and only by the members who've actually paid to rent and stream it. And the reason we operate a rent and stream model, not a download and own, is because our commitment to you as a Make Love Not Porn star is the moment anything changes, your relationship, your life, Mm. your circumstances, even just your mind. You tell us, we'll take videos down, they're gone forever, they're nowhere else on the internet. You can literally have us publish a video one day, you can change your mind overnight, we'll take it down the next. Nobody else does that, by the way. And we're also building our community offline as well as online. The ability to do this is a bit constrained by lack of funds, but but we invite our Make Love at Porn Stars to come and meet us over drinks and each other. And those are wonderful community building events. How did you get the first person to contribute? So that's a great question, Danielle, because um, obviously we had to seed the platform with content pre-launch. Right. And so I and my curator spent a whole year asking our entire networks and complete strangers, will you film yourselves having real world sex for us? And so every time I had a conversation about Make Love Not Porn, um, I would end it by asking would you be interested in contributing content? And I would always ask this question, regardless of whether I personally thought the person I was talking to would or wouldn't, which is how I found out that 99.9% of the time, the answer is yes. To the extent that I literally had to force my facial features to stay mobile, because I want to go, what? You know, <laughs> we have discovered the desire to do this lies a lot closer to the surface than many more people than you would ever have thought. And given a reason, given our social mission, our social values, people jump at the chance. And here's the fascinating thing, because we're a social experiment. We're we're learning all the time. So our Make Love Not Porn stars tell us that socially sharing their real world sex has been as transformative for them and their relationships as socially sharing everything else has been for the world at large. Mm. So we have many solo Make Love Not Porn stars, men and women, who have filmed themselves masturbating, often for the first time ever, by the way. The vast majority of our Make Love Not Porn stars had never, ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before ever. They're, do- they're doing it for us because they believe in our mission. So these are men and women who have shared this incredibly intimate act on our platform, we watched by complete strangers. They tell us that doing that made them love themselves more. It actually enhanced their sexual sense of self, their sexual self-esteem. Couples tell us it transformed their relationship. Because when you decide to film yourselves having sex, you have to talk about it. When you talk about it, doesn't matter how long you've been together, the conversation goes places that's never, ever gone before. Couples write to us and say, we thought we're open. Doing this just took us to a whole new level. Mm. Would you ever contribute? So we totally had this conversation. Um, so pre-launch, we sat down as a team and we said, OK, as entrepreneurs... We should be using our own platform. How do we feel about that? Uh, And by the way, um, I just need to contextualise this as well, because um, the one thing I did not realise when I embarked on this was that 
I would fight a huge battle every single day to build it. Essentially because every piece of business infrastructure, any other tech startup takes for granted, we can't, the small print always says no adult content. I can't get funded, I can't get banked, I can't put payments in place, I can't use tech services, etc, etc. So, um, when we had this conversation, there were differing views within the team. You know, some people were keener than others. But what we all agreed as a team was, we already fight a huge business battle every day as it is. Um, it wouldn't help any of us to be on the platform. It's, right. it's tough enough even just having this platform. Mm-hmm. And so it was a business decision not to be. But further down the road, who knows? Interesting. I'm kind of mixing your two rules together. Stay quiet. Mm. Well, don't stay quiet. And do talk about sex. You said something so apt right at the start in terms of being conditioned to be a sheep. I think that we're conditioned to be sex sheep. Mm. How then do you think we can find the kind of space and uh, removal from the pressures around us to work out what we actually like and and need individually Mm. within sex? Um, By um, doing exactly what Make Love Not Porn is doing, which is socialising and normalising all of it. Okay, so so people regularly say to me, um, Cindy, you know, how can I support Make Love Not Porn? Okay, and I give them a set of micro actions. I mean, you know, go to makelovenotporn.com, sign up for free, take out a subscription, you know, um, become a Make Love Not Porn star, contribute content. Um, If you know an investor or an investor, introduce them. Mm. But here's the fifth micro action. Um, which is, again, very simple and easy to do. Um, talk about sex every day. And then I go, let me explain what I mean by that, because I don't mean go out there and talk about sex. What I mean is, as you go through your daily life, if you happen to be in a scenario where, if we were not so messed up about it, it would be completely normal to talk about sex as part of the conversation or whatever, do that. Because I can tell you that when you socialise and normalise all this, the floodgates open. And so I'll give you my personal example, um, because I do this all the time, deliberately. So, you know, I have a ton of friends on Facebook, as we all do. And, you know, my friends post, either there is, you know, the birthday celebration, there's a dinner or party or whatever, or they're on some, like, jealousy-inducing vacation somewhere. (laughs) And they're posting gorgeous photos of the resort. And, and And we're all commenting. So on the birthday celebration photos and posts, I will comment, happy birthday, I hope you had great birthday sex. (laughs) And on the photo of the beautiful beach, you know, I'll go, great beach, hope you had great sex on it. Because they are, you know, they are, you know. And when I do that, people go, you know, ha ha, you know, yes, Cindy, we did. Because I've normalised it. I'm commenting on it openly because we all know. And when I do that, they feel able to respond Mm. in that social media environment going, whoopee, you bet we did. And that's what I mean by normalising and socialising all of this. The more all of us talk about sex in the bedroom between each other, um, generally with our friends, to our children, you know, um, the more... Um, we strip away the shame, the embarrassment, and the guilt that surrounds it. And I've spent 11 years seeing firsthand every day in the emails we get and the comments we receive and the conversations I have, the enormous human misery and unhappiness that is caused by, by the shame, embarrassment, guilt we feel around sex. And when you look back before, you know, before you started Make Love Not Porn, do you think that your openness around sex was already in existence? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. And what about when it was faced within the advertising world? You know, you spoke mm. before about being surrounded by white men in a boardroom. Mm. Oh, yeah. Would you feel oh. confident enough to talk about yep. sex in that room? 
Uh, oh, 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 I did, yes, but it made them extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, I, I remember. Um, I'm going to share a BBH anecdote here, <laughs> which um, so, um, I remember um, running the um, pitch for Adidas um, out of BBH London. This is many years ago, by the way. This has been in the early '90s, and um, and so we all had to go over to. Um, I can't remember whether this whether it was a pitch or it was a fact finding mission. We had to go over to the Adidas headquarters in Herzogenaurach in Germany. And um, and so I remember coming down to breakfast in, in the German hotel we were all staying in, and um, and you know this was you know I can't remember who was that Nigel Bogle, Simon Sherwood, um, you know Nick Kendall, like, in, um, can't remember who. And I remember going, God, you know German porn is really interesting. I was watching it in my hotel room, and I made some observation, and everyone else like stared at their breakfast. <laughs> 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 so, so I certainly was, yeah. <laughs> but having been brought up yeah. in, as you said, mm. such a repressed household, when was this like sexual enlightenment? What happened? Oh, I mean, it's just, you know, um, in the gradual course of my life, basically. Right. Because obviously I went off to university, you know, um, I began working, I actually began my career working in theatre, you know, transitioned to work in advertising in London. I mean, it was living an independent life and having sex and thinking this is the best thing ever. Yeah. You know, and um, and out from under the, the parental kind of, we don't talk about that. And, um, and, and so it was just a gradual, you know, over time. Mm. Um, and also it was, it was absolutely, you know, seeing... Everyone, you know, some people are so repressed about this. You know, I want to encourage more openness. I'm mm. going to be open myself, you know. Um, and I'm sure that there are many people, um, you know, at BBH and my other agencies who would say possibly a little too open, but that is absolutely a product of, you know, to, um, an environment where, you know, there is there is this ridiculous hypocrisy. And it's not intentional because, again, unfortunately, it is the way we are conditioned. But, you know, um, this is precisely why um, it's so important to talk about sex, because when we don't, bad things happen. And so I said to you earlier that um, Make Love Porn exists basically to promote consent, communication, good sexualizing, and good sexual behavior. This is my vision of the world when, if I can get Make Love a Porn funded to scale, I want to be the Facebook of social sex. This is what the world will look like. Parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior in the same way they currently bring them up to have good values and good behavior in every other area of life. We will therefore cease to bring up rapists mm. because the only way that you end rape culture, and, and, and this really is the only way, is by inculcating in society and openly talked about, understood, promoted, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we have that, we also end Me Too. We end sexual harassment, abuse, violence, all area areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure their victims will never speak up, never go to authorities, never tell anybody. Mm. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls worldwide. When we do that, we create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about Make Love to Pawns, my attempt to bring about world peace, and mm. I'm not joking. I can totally understand that. I guess, and this is most probably due to my own conditioning, There's, I'm, I'm kind of desperate to ask you a question, which is, do you think there's any advantage to there being some sense of allure around sex? And what I mean by that is secrecy. So um, I get... Um, I get... Uh, um, 
occasional questions of this sort, usually um, from some frightfully nice woman interviewing me for the, for the BBC, mm. going so, something I've like... I've put that hat oh, on yeah, just for this question. Yeah, yeah, I'll so, take it off know, after. No, no, no. Going, <laughs> um, but Cindy... Sex is a sacred, private thing. Don't you feel that what you're doing to make love to porn cheapens it? My response to that, Daniel, and to you is, do me a favour. Go to Google and enter into the search box the word porn, like millions of children do yeah. every single day. Look at the 10 sites that appear on page one of Google when you do that. Go to each one of those sites. Take a long, hard look at the homepage. Yeah. And then tell me I should not be doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. The facts prove it. 64% of 13 to 24-year-olds visit hardcore porn sites every single week. So what you're doing is obviously ripping that apart, we hope. Yep. And, and also, um, I'm doing what I'm doing because the average age day which a child is first exposed to hardcore porn online is eight years mm. old. And in fact, a global study done by Bitdefender seven years ago now indicated then that age had dropped to six. This is not because six-year-olds and eight-year-olds go looking for porn. It's a function of the digital world we live in um, and, you know, we cannot change as much as we'd like to. They stumble across it. It's what somebody shows your kid on a cell phone in the playground. Yeah. It's what happens when they go out to a neighbor's house. Or, and because parents write to us all the time about this, they Google something cute and innocent, and it's what comes up. Yeah. You know, a father wrote to me, this is years ago, on Facebook. He was a complete stranger. His message was headed, my wife and I cannot thank enough what you're doing. He said, we have a 10-year-old son, and we decided it was time to have the sex talk. So I sat down with him, and he said to me, Daddy, why do men wear masks when they're having sex? And this father wrote to me and said, we have parental controls on our iPad, and my 10-year-old son has somehow managed to find his way to a site where men wear masks when they're having sex. And one hates to think what else they're doing in that mm. context. He said, we can't thank enough. When he's older, we are sending him to your site. And by the way, at Make Love and Porn, we obviously have to be more legal than legal, and we're for over-18s only. But, you know, parents have, have said to us, you know, I've joined... And I have given access to my account to my under-18 teenager because I know what they're watching and I would rather they watch the videos on your site instead. What's your dream for Make Love Not Porn? Um, I need $10 million. $10 million in funding um, to scale it, um, to be able to really have an impact. And by the way, Daniela, you know, right now, um, even in our micro way, we are, male porn has the power to do something extraordinary. We are changing people's sexual attitudes and behavior. A young man wrote to us um, just um, a couple months ago. Um, he was a blue collar worker. And by the way, I love this because I designed male porn to be a mass market mainstream brand. He works in a factory. And he wrote to us and said, you know, um, he said, it's very unusual for me to write an email. And so forgive me, rambling. Um, you know, his writing style was not great. So it was obviously true. He said, um, you know, I came across um, your website in an article on Playboy.com. So I've been an average Playboy for a number of years. <clears throat> you know, and he said, um, and you um, normally, you know, he said for some years now I've been missing a connection when I view porn. He said normally my habits are, you know, go to Pornhub, you know, view a video, boom, done. He <laughs> said um, all of that changed when I began watching the videos on your site. I don't think I've ever watched something. Um, that took me aback as much. It was two people. It was a real connection. It made me begin to question my own viewing habits right now, which I think is good in terms of growth. He said, I also feel the need to talk about how, you know, we as men are not encouraged to talk about how we feel. Um, he said, you know, I've, I've, I've been single for years now. Dating has been non-existent. I'm working three jobs to survive. And, you know, 
my sexual health is not good at all. And I really feel the need to kind of, you know, examine this. All of this came about with your website. You know, I welcome the chance to start on a new journey to get to know myself better. This has been a wonderful wake-up call. Thank you so much. Honestly, I mean, I mean, that email gave me shivers down mm. my spine. We have the power to change what the British press and all, all the other global press is squawking about every day, the, the kind of stats that you just read out. Mm. Okay, nobody will fund us. My biggest obstacle finding investors is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think which operates around sex, unlike any other area. Cindy, I think it's a perfect time for you to tell us the third rule that you have broken. So the third rule I've broken is don't talk about money. And um, the reason I think it's so important to break that rule is I regularly encourage women to be unashamed about setting out to make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money. <laughs> and I articulate like that because I say to women, that is how much money I want you to make. And the reason for that is because when we all make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money, we can then use that money to fund other women, to support other women, to help other women, to donate to other women. We need to build our own financial ecosystem because the white male one is not working for us. You know, I'm a female founder. And by the way, I represent the triple whammy of unfundability. I'm female, I'm older, I have a sex tech startup. But for women founders generally, only 2.8% of all venture capital funding goes to female founded ventures. I mean, that's how ludicrous the gender gap is in investment. And so, you know, we need women to make a lot more money in order to fund the brilliant ideas that the rest of us have to make a real impact on the world. And because we're not brought up to think like that, we're not brought up to talk about nice girls don't, you know, um, you know, I talk about money all the time and I encourage women to consciously think about making it in everything they do. Mm. Because, um, you know, I've referenced that in the context of entrepreneurism and, and, and funding, but it's also critically important that every woman sets out to make as much money as possible in her current job. Um, at every pay review, at every job interview, and by the way, the number you ask for is always the highest amount you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing. <laughs> but the reason that's important is, you know, I say to women, if you don't do that, when the leadership at your company look down the giant Excel spreadsheet of every single salary in your company, and when they see, as they will, that all the men are paid more than the women, in their mind, that translates into that's because the men are better than the women. And so you need to be paid as much as you possibly can to fly the flag for all of us. Mm. Because when we are compensated equally, we are worth just as much in the eyes of the leadership. Why do you think there is that shame, which is kind of, well, probably not strangely, but just it's just the same as the shame we feel around talking about sex. Why do you think as a woman or women, we find it difficult to talk about money? Because of, again, um, deliberate female social conditioning. So men are brought up to understand that at some point they will have to go out in the world and get a job. They are the breadwinner. You know, they have to make money. Money is how success is measured. We are not brought up in the same way. We are brought up to think that a man is a financial strategy, that you find your prince charming and marry him and you'll live happily ever after and he'll support you. Mm. 
a man is not a financial strategy. And so, again, I encourage women to think about making money from as early an age as possible because you need to support yourself. And when you support yourself, um, you'll be able to make so many more life choices you are not able to when you've bought into the idea that you have to look for a husband. So do you think that happiness equates to having a lot of money? Uh, I don't think that happiness equates to having a lot of money. I think happiness equates to the things you can do with a lot of money that will, that will make both you and a lot of people happier. Because I see all the time female founders with brilliant ideas who cannot get them funded. Okay, And quite often those ideas, a bit like Make Love and Porn, are the counterpart for male-centric worldview ideas. And by the way, you know, a lot of those ventures, you know, we use them as much as men do, but they need to be balanced out by a female lens, female worldview, you know. To, um, so, so I'll give an example. You know, dating, okay, um, Tinder. Um, male, all male founding team, all male dev team, all male um, VCs funding it, therefore all male advisory board until quite recently. I think they've now put one woman on, okay. Therefore, what you have is an app focused um, entirely on a male-centric worldview, which is that the only criteria of dateability is utterly superficial, looks. Swipe right, swipe left. And when that operates at the scale that it does globally, the concept of swipeability, of instant dismissal, has now embedded itself into our popular consciousness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I know a ton of young women who wanted to start up dating apps where you could find relationships, you could find love, could not get fun of love, no money, had to give up. Okay. And men are the poorer for it. Because, by the way, you know, there's many women as men who want casual sex, yeah. but there are as many men as women who want love. Mm -hmm. You know, I often say I wish society understood the opposite of what it thinks is true. Women enjoy sex just as much as men, and men are just as romantic as women. And neither gender is allowed to openly celebrate that fact. I have, you know, a young, a young male friend. He's a very dear friend. He is in his late 20s. Um, I've known him for a long time. Um... And he has quite a high profile in the tech world. And so the people who'd be very surprised to hear this, but he has never, ever had casual sex because he has to be in love. He's not interested in having sex with a woman that he's not in love with. Mm. Um, and there, there are many more men like him. And so what we need is operating at the same scale, the female lens worldview app that counterbalances Tinder. And by the way, Make Love Not Porn counterbalances Tinder. But we're not getting funded. So you've just said very clearly, go into a room and talk very openly about money. How are you trying to do it with Make Love Not Porn? Um, well, so, so first of all, um, I designed Make Love Not Porn's business model around my own philosophies, one of which is that you know, I believe that everybody should realise the financial value of what they create. And I feel that particularly strongly because my background is theatre and advertising. Two industries where ideas and creativity are massively undervalued even by the creators themselves. Hell yes. So I believe that when you create something that gives other people pleasure, you should see a financial return on it. And the more people you give more pleasure to with that output, the greater that financial return should be. And so I decided to make Love Not Porn's revenue sharing model around around that, that philosophy. You know, we literally want to reach the kind of critical mass where one day your Make Love Not Porn video could get a million rentals at $5 <laughs> per rental and we give you half that income. Wow. Okay. Because our revenue share split is 50-50 down the middle. You know, w w when we launched, I wrote a blog post um, about our business model, which was called, you know, How Make Love Not Porn Can Help the Global Economy. And I began it by saying, you know all those scam ads on the internet that tell you 
make $2,000 a week working from home. Well, now you can. Yeah. Okay? And, and, and so also, by the way, the intention there was to democratise um, the ability to earn income. And so, again, even in our tiny bootstrapping capability, I'm delighted to say that, you know, um, we are making a financial difference for our Make Love Not Porn stars. So one couple have been with us since the beginning. They've made, I think it's over $25,000 to date. You know, that's wow. not Trump change. Yeah. Another couple joined us and in the first 18 months they made $10,000. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we encourage our Make Love Not Porn stars to tell us and to blog about what they spend that money on. And so they tell us that we have helped them pay off student loans, buy a new washing machine, go on vacation, mm. Um, you know, one couple said, you know, you are helping us pay our rent. And I am thrilled that the bonus income um, that being Make Love Not Porn Stars delivers is helping people in all these different ways. Do you think that that um, financial model could be applied to other industries? Absolutely. I mean, that's why I created it, because um, one of the things I talk about a lot um, in my business speaking consulting is, um, and again, I talk about this a lot because um, other people don't, or not enough people do. I talk about redesigning business models because too many people in my observation either go, this is our industry business model. This is the only way we've ever made money. This is the only way we will make money. Or they go, there's a set number of business models out there and we must use one of those. And what I explain is that your business model can be anything you want it to be. You can design it yourself. And a really good starting point is to simply ask yourself the question, how would I like to make money? Because it's a safe bet you like to make it differently from the way you're making it currently. You know, and so anyone can design a business model. And so I designed my own, and, and this is, is the model for Make Love Not Porn. I believe the business model of the future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit, financial profit and social profit. Mm-hmm. When brands and businesses come together with their audiences, and by the way, audiences can be consumers, employees, analysts, you know, whoever your audience is, on the basis of values that you all share, which, by the way, is the most important requirement for a good relationship in life as much as business. Yeah. We'll never truly bond with somebody who don't share the same values. When you come together around shared values, and when you are then enabled to collectively and collaboratively co-act on those values, to walk the talk together, you can then make things happen in the real world that will benefit consumers, benefit society, and benefit the brand and its business. And, and, and that is Make Love and Porn's model. Shared values plus shared action equals shared profit. When you look back at your time in the advertising world... If you had gone to whoever you were working with, at, even at BBH, and said, this is what I want to do, how, in terms of this financial model, what do you think the response would have been? Well, you know, I have to say, um, I, am, I am disappointed by the lack of support in our industry for what I'm doing. Because Make Love Not Porn is our industry's holy grail. It's a huge creative idea Um, designed to change the world in a very profound and socially beneficial way um, that is designed to do a huge amount of good and make a huge amount of money. And and by the way, I've absolutely um, tried to find investors in, in my industry. And fear of what other people will think operates there as much as it does anywhere else. You know, and and by the way, I have a lot of people who support at a much lower level, you know, and our members and, 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 and will talk about it. But, um, you know, to, um, I think there would have been recoil as much then as, as much as there is recoil now. I guess ultimately, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but what you're really doing is shifting 
perception of what aspiration means. And that's huge. Absolutely. So well, for no, an industry no, that is reliant no, on aspiration, no, that's no, like, that, no wonder people yep. would be scared of it. Um, you know, no, 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 you're absolutely right, Daniela, because I also talk about this in my business speaking. You know, um, as an industry, we need to reinvent what is deemed aspirational. And so I talk about yeah. um, how you apply that to, you know, social aspiration. Okay, one of the things I've been saying to the ad industry for years is I want to see us celebrate and hold up as aspirational um, today's relationship role model. And what I mean by that is, um, historically, our industry perpetuates stereotypes. And by the way, there's a very practical reason why that is, because stereotypes are very good creative shorthand yeah. when you only have 30 seconds or whatever. But one of the stereotypes we've perpetuated is that the man is the strong, confident breadwinner and the woman is the warm, caring, nurturing homemaker. And I want to see us make aspirational today's relationship role model, which is a partnership of equals. Mm -hmm. Because today, both halves of the couple work. They have to. The economy demands it. And by the way, this is true of same-sex couples, yeah. you know, whatever. That requires completely new forms of negotiation as to who does the housework, the childcare. You know, what happens when the woman earns more than the man, going heteronormative now because this is where there's the biggest issue, you know, what happens when the woman has a job and the man doesn't? And we can help consumers by celebrating as aspirational those partnerships of today in a way that will make men feel a whole lot better about, about being a stay-at-home husband, mm -hmm. about being the person waiting at the school gates, and make the woman feel a lot less guilt about being the breadwinner. You know, and, and and we're not doing that. And so you're right. Um, this this is this is making good sexualizing, good sexual behavior aspirational. Mm. And by the way, everything I've ever learned in industry is fed into Make Love Not Porn. I designed Make Love Not Porn to be a badge brand, because when you're a member of our community, what that says about you is I'm good in bed the way it really counts, mm. the real world sex way. I stand for good sexualizing, good sexual behavior. And the reason this is so important is because Make Love Not Porn operates in the single biggest market of them all. Not sex, not porn, the market of human happiness. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect place, I think, for you to tell me the one rule, Cindy, that you will never break. The one rule um, that I will never break and I urge everybody else not to break is my personal rule of don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. <laughs> because fear of what other people think is the single most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. You will never own the future if you care what other people think. So don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. How can we do that in a world which is constantly telling us to give a damn what other people think? You know, we're carrying our phones around at the end of our bodies everywhere we go, which is having, you know, constant influences and constant conditioning on us. How do we stay true basically to ourselves, which is what you're saying? Mm. Yeah. So, so, so what I tell people um, to do as a starting point, Daniela, is, um, you know, I said earlier, everything starts with you and your values. And so I urge people, because too few people have done this, I urge people to take a long, hard look into yourself mm. and identify what you stand for. Ask yourself, what do I believe in? What do I value? What am I all about? And then live and work those values. And by the way, you know, first of all, um, that makes life so much simpler. Yeah. Life still throws you all the shit it always will, but you know exactly how to respond to it in, in any given situation the way that's true to you. And B you will always know that what you are doing is true to you. And honestly, that is the secret of happiness. I'd like to ask you one more question before you go. Over the past 11 years, 
What have you learnt about love and sex that you didn't know before? The, you know, I think, um, you know, well, what I didn't realise as much before um, and what I now know, not least because of all the human stories I've been shared with me of kind of the opposite, you know, um, the impact porn has as default sex ed when we don't talk about sex in, in, in the real, real world. The single biggest turn on in the entire world is to be in bed with somebody and know they're having a bloody amazing time because mm. of you. And, you know, in this context, I quote William Blake, who totally got it right, you know, back in when he was writing in, um, you know, the 18th century. Um, you know, he wrote this very simple um, uh, poem, and it was heteronormative because those were the times, mm. but it applies to everybody. He wrote, you know, what is it that men and women do require? the lineaments of gratified desire. What is it that women and men do require? The lineaments of gratified desire. Mm -hmm. That is as true today as it's ever been. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there having very bad sex and never experiencing the gloriousness of knowing that somebody else is having a wonderful time in bed because of you. And that is what Make Love Not Porn is making happen. And what we know from what our members report to us, we are making happen. You know, we are enabling them to communicate better around sex, to get to better sexual relationships, to get to better relationships, to get to better lives. Cindy, thank you. I hope that every single listener signs up now to Make Love Not Porn, makes a keen effort to go out and talk very confidently about sex. I know I will. Thank and, you. And become a Make Love Not Porn star. Yeah, Share your real world sex with us. And if you know an investor, <laughs> hook a girl up. Cindy at makelovenotporn.com. Thank you so, so much, Cindy, for being such a sexual revolutionary. Mm. 